Uh, good morning, everybody, uh, and welcome to uh, another edition of ATARC's uh, Cloud and Coffee discussion. Again, my name is Chris Oglesby with Morphworks and my co-host, uh, Bill Hunt with uh, SBA. Excited to uh, uh, start this show today and uh, welcome our guests. Uh, before introductions, uh, the ATARC Cloud and Coffee uh, is uh, part of the Cloud Infrastructure Working Group. Uh, the intent is to bring a platform with uh, a goal of lessons learned and ideas uh, to the ATARC community uh, to be used both in uh, this discussion as well as at a later date, uh, from the, the which it can be accessed from the website. Uh, our focus uh, will be a conversation about our guest experiences, past and present, executing modernization and transformation efforts. A little housekeeping, uh, please feel free to enter any questions into the chat and we will address those as, uh, as we can. Um, now let's move into introductions. Uh, Nancy is the CEO of the Global Electronics Council. For those of you that might have seen a little back and forth on uh, on LinkedIn and some of the invites, uh, we'll get uh, we'll get that uh, exciting news here in a second. Uh, Nancy actually brings a unique perspective to our discussion this morning, bringing a discussion around sustainability and modernization as well as acquisition. And Nancy, um, welcome to uh, to the show. So Nancy, let's uh, first start. Uh, you know, when you and I first met and uh, part of working groups and, and conversations, it was the uh, Green Electronics Council. And so you've uh, recently changed to the Global um, Electronics Council, and just uh, would love to hear kind of that transition and and uh, how that uh, how that's you know tied to your uh, to your future. Well, uh, thanks. Thanks so much for having me on this show. I really appreciate it. Um, I, of course, brought my coffee and hope that all participants did as well. Figured that that was a requirement to our cloud and coffee conversation. But as you noted, when we first started speaking, I spoke to you as the CEO of the Green Electronics Council. We just transitioned to the Global Electronics Council uh, earlier this month. And it's in recognition that we are a sustainability-focused advocacy nonprofit organization and when you talk about sustainability, you talk about the triple bottom line, which means you're talking about environmental, but you're also talking about social and you're talking about economic. So being named the green really left out the fact that as a sustainability driven organization, we're also focused on economic viability and social impact. And then eh, we're a bit of a victim of our success as well. We've been around since 2006. We actually got the start for one of our major programs, what many of your federal participants right now may know us for, which is the Ecolabel EPEAT that started in 2006. So we're actually an outgrowth of the interest of the U.S. federal government in sustainability. But since 2006, the tools and resources that we freely make available for institutional purchasers have been adopted in more than 42 countries. So by definition, we're global and we're excited about that. We thought, well, we might just want to go ahead and change our name to reflect that. So Global Electronics Council, it is. Plus, it gave us a, a jazzy new um, logo. And you know, in this, in this world of uh, visual and Zoom, logos where it's at. I know I'm I'm with you on that. Having just gone through that uh, that myself, uh, it's uh, it's both exciting and nerve wracking to, to to go through it, and it's uh, very exciting, especially with the success you guys have had, um, and uh, and kind of the success I think that um, you'll have in the future with with uh, kind of the broader outlook. So that's that's awesome. Thank you for uh, thank you for that. So first question from uh, for me is you know one of the things that. Um, you know, we've talked about is the, the, the environmental focus, right? The sustainability uh, focus. And, you know, this is a conversation typically of, uh, of technologists, but I think technologists with, with, a, with a vision of, of kind of going forward. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna start with sometimes what we end with is uh, the acquisition cycle. And, and so I think, you know, if, if you can talk a little bit about, because I think that's a very unique aspect of really thinking about acquisitions in a, in a different manner. We always talk about it on this show around, you know, thinking about what you need to do, planning, kind of the strategic side, the impact of the organization, this, the constant change, but you actually bring yet one more additional element to it that I think is, uh, is really interesting. So can you kind of address the acquisition aspect of how you look at this? Yeah, in fact, um, our organization, so I talked about we're a sustainability advocacy nonprofit 
So simplistically, we want to see a, a more sustainable and just world. Okay. Well, we're not alone in that endeavor. There's many, many organizations. So what do we do? Well, we recognize the power of purchasing. So acquisition procurement is where we're at. And we actually want to leverage institutional purchasing power towards creating this more sustainable and just world. And so you're right. That's a particular focus of ours. And so we seek to empower both public and private sector purchasers in how do they buy more credible technology, both the hardware and the software. And we've been doing that for a while. Now, what I found interesting about the opportunity to speak today is the fact that there's a change in what's being bought and there's a change in how it's being bought. And I think that has an impact on what's being offered and what vendors, especially in the cloud, but just technology writ large might be asked for as they now respond to acquisition and you know, part of a procurement process. So in part, let's first talk about what is being bought. Well, when you talk about technology, there's the shift from what was a pretty stable base of existing hardware, laptops and such, to this new stuff, right? And of course, cloud is still considered a pretty new technology when you talk about large-scale purchasers. So that's one thing. What's being bought is different than before, newer stuff. Um, there's more emphasis now on technology. We couldn't be talking today. In fact, we couldn't have continued working during COVID without technology. So what we experienced last year was just a tremendous push towards procurement to make technology in the hands, make it available in the hands of not only workers, but school children, healthcare providers. So technology just is, was on a tremendous growth, continues to be. But it's not that, that there's more technology and faster pace of technology that acquisition workforce has to keep up with. It's now how they're buying it. And previously they bought the hardware, right? They bought the laptops and the desktops and the televisions. What they're buying now is the service. We see this massive transition to, I don't necessarily want the hardware and the software. Excuse me, I don't want the hardware and the actual um, tangible asset. I want the output of that asset. Files an output of an asset as well, right? It's an output of data centers. So that's what we're seeing is a big trend towards not the stuff, but what the stuff does. And that has a major sustainability impact because it used to be that you could just focus on the sustainability or the environmental output of a laptop, for example, right? How energy efficient is it? Well, it's no longer I'm buying those laptops. Now I'm leasing them, right? Or I'm actually wanting the service of them. So how do I make sure that they're sustainable as well? And if I'm buying, you know, that service, for hundreds and thousands of people, especially if I'm a, a country or if I'm a big city, um, if I'm an academic institution, a healthcare center, right? Kaiser Permanente is one of the major users of EP hardware, right? 95% of the hardware that they buy is EP registered products, which means by definition, they're more sustainable products. What happens when they start leasing them? So this is, this is a big area of interest on how do you bring sustainability into new acquisition model when that model becomes not buying the hardware itself, but actually buying the output of that hardware. So let's keep rolling on that a little bit and, and get into the nuts and bolts here. So <clears throat> obviously, you know, the show was cloud and coffee. My personal interest has been data center and cloud for a really long time. And like you say, the, the model is changing for how we're acquiring things. You know, in the federal government and even at state and local level, um, nationally, we've cared about, you know, like energy efficiency as, as one piece of the puzzle. And that's really as far as we have done our thinking on sustainability, right? That's, that's the level of maturity the government generally is at is, you know, we're looking at PUE. Um, but it doesn't really take into account thinking about like the e-waste, like you're starting to talk about, you know, all of this stuff that we are using. Um, can you talk a little bit about that piece of it? Because, I mean, when we go to cloud, um, we're cycling through hardware a lot faster. We're not seeing it, but cloud is actually a data center that lives somewhere else. Um, yeah. They're running these things at much more high uh, usage than we do in the uh, government sector. You know, we have like usages around like 18% for most of our hardware, which means we can keep it a really, really long time and not replace it versus some of the biggest vendors who are burning out hard drives at such a rate that I don't even know how they keep up. Um, and that changes the calculations for when you're talking about e-waste. Um, so can you talk a little bit about 
how that factors in when we're talking about, you know, like actually doing the acquisition and, you know, what you all are focusing on on that area. Yeah, so let's go back to this. You're now acquiring um, no longer the stuff. That's, of course, a question is e-waste is the largest growing waste stream globally, period. So you're going to have um, purchasers interested in what's happening to the stuff after I'm done with it. But let's talk about cloud in particular. And yeah, let's talk about PUE. PUE was a great way of identifying from a data center perspective the efficiency, right? And it gave you at least something comparatively. But in our conversations with the Joint Research Center, which is basically the group over in Europe who helps advise all of the countries under the EU what is sustainability and how do you include it in the public procurements there, they started recognizing also that you're not necessarily buying the data center, you're buying the cloud, which resides on it. So how do you break that cloud apart? Well, you break it into three things and you start looking for sustainability, environmental and social in all three. The first is, yeah, what makes a data center um, sustainable? And there it's both what you put in it. So it is the equipment within the data center, right? But it's also how new or not new or how efficient the building is, right? So the building that it resides in. But then you start getting outside of that space. And what's being looked at is, well, how is it being powered? Well, all of a sudden you're introducing into cloud and cloud sustainability this question of, the data centers that are being relied on for that cloud service that is being bought, do they utilize renewable energy? And of course, renewable energy, you're hearing a lot about that. One of the biggest technology growth spurts in the renewable space is solar, right? So renewable energy and what kind of renewable energy? And is the equipment being used for the renewable energy sustainable itself? And then the third piece is, not just the data center, it's not what's inside the data center, it's not the envelope of the facility, it's not how are you just powering the data center and is it renewable and what kind of renewable and depending on the kind of renewable is the hardware that you're using there sustainable. It's also how is it getting into the periphery, right? So how is it getting to the end user? It's network. So all of a sudden you're starting to have acquisition personnel who are getting very interested in those three areas. And when they now start talking about cloud, obviously they're always interested in security. We'll talk a little bit about what security means when you talk about sustainability, but they're also starting to look at not PUE anymore, right? It's not just the data center. It is the talk to me about what's in your data center and how uh, sustainable it is. Talk to me about the facilities itself that you're relying on. Talk to me about how overall they're being powered. And then talk to me about anything that you happen to have control over from a network perspective. That's a big change from what we knew previously. So, um, and real quick for the audience, uh, please use the Q&A uh, uh, button on there for any questions you might have. Um, kind of drilling down to that, so to, to Bill's kind of uh, alluded um, uh, to, to kind of his passion over the time. And I spent a lot of time at a company that, you know, had, would, I would say helped define the, the data center market. Um, and, and what, you know, they talked about was, the diversity, right? So they talked about the diversity of power companies that were powering, the diversity of backup um, uh, backup utilities, the, the diversity and connectivity uh, that they had. And that was always, you know, kind of a, a core. When when looking at the sustainability side, is there diversity that, that uh, I guess, almost a scoring aspect that you guys look at in, in the sustainability, right? So do you have solar, wind, and uh, regular power to use diesel and natural gas as a you know just thinking through do you guys look at a, a scoring mechanism because obviously you know the the agencies uh, the government agencies are all tied to um, the fatara scorecard for their dcoi uh, the data center optimization optimization initiative is there something that you guys have that's similar we don't have it yet but it's coming what we have right now is along with eco labels that we make available to purchasers we also put out purchaser guides, and these are in recognition that sometimes purchasers are having to buy stuff that's a fast-moving technology, such cloud was for many acquisition people. They'd never had known how to grapple with that before, or a type of impact that their acquisitions now need to address, like social, right? That's a big impact that many purchasers, public and private sector, are, are looking to see what their vendors are doing to respond to it. So, 
we have a purchaser guide on cloud services, and those actually give specific questions that purchasers can use throughout the procurement process. Um, and these are ones where we're really focused on giving that type of guidance. Now, I'll tell you, we are getting to the point of where we will have a scoring or um, some type of way of comparatively understanding the sustainability of cloud service providers, but we're not there yet. Great. Sorry. Now I have to, yeah, I have to share that uh, I'm in the state, I'm speaking to you from the state of Oregon, which just had, along with the state of Texas, a huge uh, snow and ice storm. And I've realized that I have lost my connectivity and so if I've disappeared visually, it's because my poor little router is trying to uh, try to keep up. I was, so, yeah, I was just going my to apologies for that. No, that's okay. I was going to state that not only, not only are you uh, up early, but um, Oregon's had, uh, had its fair share of uh, weather as well. So um, I also see that we have a couple of uh, our colleagues here um, from Texas on as well. Uh, so um, uh, I just respect everybody that is going through this winter uh, uh, emergency right now and able to even be on. So um, yeah, if we could only hear your voice, that's that's totally fine for this. Um, I, I did wanna keep uh, uh, on that thread for a little bit too. Um, obviously everybody should go and look at the procurement guide uh, that she mentioned before, it's fantastic. Um, and obviously I know that there's more to come on this topic as well. Um, one of my, my specific issues here, obviously, um, having worked on the data center optimization initiative myself and uh, written a memo on it and come up with a whole bunch of metrics, um, you know, we were trying to find easy ways that uh, agencies that are running data center facilities could uh, measure how they're doing um, apples to apples uh, across the agency portfolio, right? We've got, you know, about 2,000 real data centers within the federal government. Um, and uh, we did not keep PUE in as a critical measure for comparison, um, but we did keep it in for reporting uh, measures just so we would have that data, but we didn't wanna score people on that because we weren't finding necessarily that it was the best measure of sustainability, right? It wasn't a, a true mm -hmm. apples to apples comparison. Um, from where you all are sitting and you know your unique view, are there easy things that uh, a government agency could look at and say that this facility is relatively sustainable um, and that kind of give themselves their own little scorecard if they were to go through this that, that you all would value? I mean, you mentioned like, you know, the, the age of the building and whether or not that facility is, you know, up to the modern standard. Obviously most data centers in the federal government are old 40s and 50s buildings that we have reconfigured to become a data center, not necessarily the, the best of breed. Yeah. And then we have others, you know, like the, um, the social security flagship, uh, you know, up in Maryland there that actually has a solar field, 30% of their energy is all from solar. Uh, they reclaim their heat, um, all of this amazing, amazing stuff that goes outside of just the box of PUE. So if I were to, to ask you, what, what could we look at? How could we be scoring ourselves? Um, not necessarily how we'd want OMB to score us, but if we want to score ourselves, how, how would we, we go about that? Where, where would we start? No, that's a really good question. So I mentioned, you know, think about it in three buckets, the facility itself, how it's powered, and then start talking, thinking about the network and what you can control about the choices of the network. Of course, the first two, I think, are the ones that you touched upon. So let's talk about that facility. There's the facilities themselves, even if they're repurposed, whether or not they've been repurposed in such a way to actually garner Energy Star rating. So a lot of people don't know that Energy Star actually applies to buildings as well, um, along with uh, LEED, right? So that already starts being a simple way where you can communicate the sustainability because under those either Energy Star or LEED designation, it accommodates a lot of the singular things that a facility, a building would want to have to be sustainable. And then to your point about e-waste, I don't wanna lose that track, that's an important one. In fact, it's so important that you're starting to see a policy movement, particularly in the EU, and I'm sure we will see more movement here now in the US as well. It's really a focus on life elongation, which means that this is where you're looking at, do not only does the equipment, is it as efficient from an energy perspective as it can be during its use phase, but is it in such a way to where you're, you, like you said, you're burning through, 
that you don't necessarily have to burn through, right? Is there a way to where you can either repair it um, or there's a lot of focus on modularity right now in IT equipment, swap out something of it to where you can continue its life. And as I mentioned, that actually is something that the country of France has come up with a repairability index to where it already tells you also, and this is something that the EU is seeking to adopt more broadly. It's in recognition that our disposal culture that we have right now just cannot continue. We just do not have the wherewithal to have so much of our prized technology thrown away into dumps. And so it's not only repair, it's life elongation to repair and recycle, um, but it's also then starting to look at if you want to recycle, um, doing so in such a way to where you're pooling out the materials, right? To where you're actually capturing those materials back uh, and putting them back into a, a stream. But that's a little bit beyond what one would look at when you're looking at, is my data center sustainable? And I understand that. But really, you're looking at, am I putting sustainable products into my data center to begin with? Mm-hmm. What I'm putting it into, am I putting it into something? Energy Star or LEED certified, and then you've already touched on it. And my uh, powering that facility through renewables. And if if I were to say that since we're creating, as you asked, are we creating some kind of scorecard? We are creating more specific guidance. You're focused on those areas. You're pretty much where that guidance is going to go. So, so I'd like to actually um, stitch a couple of things together. And, and we've talked about. So we've talked about the e-waste, we've talked about the data centers, uh, the cloud, and, and kind of the, the getting the most of the service. But you know, and the, and the government, and I, I think quite honestly, commercially, there, there's a lot that are still kind of hybrid, right? There's there's pieces that that you still need to have that 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 you manage. I, I mean, I think about myself personally, right? I, again, I, I before the show started, I talked about you know kind of the, the the green generation that I was raised by and my grandmother, and and. You know, I have technology at home that's that's stacked up, old iPads, old iPhones um, uh, that my kids will tell you I break purposely to get the next generation. But, um, you know, it's, it's, it's this pile of, of, of electronics that two purposes. One, you know, we have in the government, you have agencies that are heavy research. You have agencies that are heavy, um, you know, uh, consumer focus and mission. And, and so there's this balance of we have you know, we have uh, agencies that have kind of this hybrid environment, and but how do you not only kind of uh, move through the e-waste, but um, the security aspect of things, right? Because, you know, there's, there, there is a security component to it, right? There's the old school, just drop it in the shredder and, and, and away you go. But to really kind of to deconstruct, to be able to use the, use the different components and, and recycle, et cetera, well, securely, so that way something doesn't get out that still has, you know, uh, sensitive data on. I mean, that, that needs to be taken into account, correct? Yeah, it does. And, and you're running into what is an increasing tension between what's understood to be sustainable and what's understood to be secure. So great. You want life elongation, right? You want to keep products and stay as long as possible. And I started our conversation with this change that we're seeing in acquisition to where they're wanting to buy the service of it, not the hardware itself. So it starts becoming advantageous for those who are providing that service to the government to keep the equipment in play, right? The more that you can lease it over and over and over, the better financially it is for you. That's a great business model. Good for sustainability, good for the vendor. Problem is exactly what you put your finger on. If I life elongate, I'm repairing it or I'm refurbishing well, okay, you're repairing it. Tell me that it went to a secure repair facility. What's a secure repair facility? It's one of those that hopefully you know who's touching it because depending on how that IT is being used, there's some pretty important information that's going over that IT, right? Or what about, oh, it's refurbished. I'm taking parts out. I'm putting other parts in. How do we know that those parts are secure themselves? Where did they come from? Traceability. These are challenges we already face just with the core product. So yeah, this intersection of, oh, we want to be sustainable. We want a long life gate. We don't want to put it in the e-waste stream. 
because we're going to repair it and we're going to refurbish, starts running into the security realities that we live in, which is, but I don't want somebody I don't know touching it. And I don't want something that I can't confirm is okay being put in it. And that's a challenge. And I wish I had a ready-made solution for you, but I don't. This is one that we're focused on extremely because it cannot become an either or, right? The world cannot accommodate a growing e-waste stream, but it also can't deny that we need to make sure that the IT that we use is secure, particularly in the cloud space. So yeah, it's one that we'll be working on and is a number one interest of us right now. Good question. Excellent. You know, that, that kind of teases out something that we had talked about uh, when we first chatted a couple of weeks back, um, you know, this, this concept of the supply chain, right? You know, obviously this is a, a hot topic on everybody's mind right now, you know, given the big solar winds breach right now where we're seeing, you know, these vulnerabilities yeah. introduced um, above and beyond just like a, uh, a low level hack to a primary vendor, right? We're seeing things introduced at lower and lower levels and code bases. We're seeing the potential that things could be introduced um, into chipsets at a distributor yep. and a manufacturer, you know, six or seven levels below. And, you know, you had mentioned uh, that, you know, it's, it's the other side of the same coin for like the sustainability practice. Like a computer is not made by one company anymore, right? Like you have all of these different vendors who are putting together these components from the different pieces and parts that they're getting. Um, and those come from a number of different sources. So when we're thinking through that, you know, it's, all of these different components need to be secure and from secure facilities, from places and companies that we trust. And simultaneously, now we have to think about the sustainability factor of every single piece in that chain. Um, I know you said you're still working on it, but can you give us a little teaser about, you know, where you all are thinking and how that ties back to what existing work is going on in the security community as well, you know, both the stuff that you all are doing here and abroad. No, I appreciate that. So I think our conversation was based on where I was sharing my time at GSA, right? I had the honor of, of being at the General Services Administration. And this is the time that we started to talk about FedRAMP and you know, how do we increase the security of IT equipment? And when I was there, it was as many people think about it today. Oh, I have the security conversation over here and then I have the sustainability conversation over here. But sustainability, especially environmental and social impacts are increasingly found in the supply chain. So when we now talk about, hey, is this end product secure or, hey, is this end product sustainable? Guess what? When you're going to the supply chain, you tend to be talking to the same person. You're just talking about different attributes. So even at that time at GSA, I said there is an inherent need to actually combine these conversations. It's two sides of one coin. Keeping them separate just makes um, additional work for vendors in the supply chain because you're tapping the same ones. You're asking them for a level of transparency about their product and their practices that you want anyway. You not only want to know where a product now is being made or a component is being made, by knowing where, you also know about the social impacts that need to be mitigated. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. when you talk about the where you're also talking about understanding what might happen as far as environmental impacts so what's going into it, right? Same thing you're gonna to need to know for security. So I think where we're going is what we're trying to do is to integrate the two. Mm -hmm. How can you have a single conversation? You're talking with the same vendors, you're usually talking with the same rep, asking the same set of questions. How about you ask them one combined set of questions? Right. And instead of just focusing on one aspect of where is it or who's touching it from a security, include what you need to know from an environmental and social perspective as well. And it starts making sense. Right. They understand, oh, you want to know where this is being made because you need to feel secure that there's some level of transparency and insight. You also want to know to make sure that those workers are being paid correctly. Right, that they're not being locked up, locked up in the facility, that they're able to exit if a fire or emergency happens. These basics that we all expect. So why don't we just combine it? So what are we doing? That's what we're trying to do, is integrate a set of questions that you can ask that actually when deployed throughout a supply chain, get to security and sustainability in one fell swoop. It's an easy lift. That can't be so hard. 
Well, so that's a, it seems like there was a, a, um, like-minded thinking with, uh, with Bill at the same time, we got a question on uh, wondering if there are parallels between the controls necessary to manage that supply chain uh, risk for security and those uh, for sustainability. So it seemed, seemed like that was, uh, it was a question that uh, was on, on two people's minds, so. Yeah, and just to like yeah. poke at that a little bit more, I mean, so what, where, European Union tends to be a little bit ahead of us, obviously. Uh, you know, only recently were we allowed to say the words climate change again. I'm a government employee. I'm allowed to say climate change again. That's great. Um, so, you know, where are things going internationally, you know, in this front? You know, we're, we're still playing catch up here. And, you know, again, it's really hard for the federal government to, to, to move that. Right now, it is separate silos like you're talking about. You know, NIST is over here doing their cybersecurity controls and doing a fine job. Uh, for my friends at NIST, you know, and then we have these sustainability measures that we're starting to think about kind of over here. And I guess EPA may be funded again this year um, and still exists. So hopefully that will like start to pick back up again, you know, and the work at FEMP and some of that sort of stuff that's happening, stuff that you all are doing. How do we start to knit that together? And, you know, again, what's being done uh, nationally, you mentioned France doing some of these pieces already. Um, how can we copy the great work that's being done internationally, you know, to bring this in, you know, and again, you specifically mentioned FedRAMP. Good friends over there, Ashley and Brian and everybody, good friends of the show. You know, we've talked to them a lot in different uh, cloud conversations through ATARC. Um, you know, are there are there places that they could be doing some of this stuff to like look at these things for agencies as well? Um, again, not saying that you're giving guidance specifically to GSA, but in general, just want to make sure I'm legal here. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's an interesting question. And um, so, to, to set the record straight, that's right. The EU has been doing some, some interesting and, and forward-moving work, especially over the last four years. But uh, as I mentioned, we were created uh, the EP Ecolabel, which is the most used Ecolabel in the world for the technology sector um, by the U.S. federal government. So we had ownership on sustainability and leadership, and we will regain that. And I have, have no... Uh, concerns about that. But it's not about leadership anymore. Um, it's about everybody working together, because guess what? This is a huge problem. So how do we actually learn if that we start having conversations? So um, we're proud that our organization, we talk directly to GSA, right? Um, not only on EP, but how can they use the model that EP has served the government, which is a way of actually creating criteria that define something as sustainable in a way that vendors can actually meet, right? We have an example over in Europe where they've done a great job in creating some sustainability criteria. Nobody can meet it. What's the point? So it needs to be acceptable criteria that vendors can actually meet. It also, though, um, and something that we've, we've talked about is it needs to be something that's verifiable, Right. So to your point, what's a scorecard or something to where I can say, and it needs to be to where it is fair and accessible for all. So it can't just be, oh, here's a scorecard that makes sustainable cloud, but only the biggies can do it. Right. We need to make sure that small businesses are able to also prove that they're sustainable. And so that's the same thing. There's a lot of conversation in that area uh, with, I mentioned, JRC. It's a tremendous interest in recent conversations that we've had with GSA. And you talk about NIST and their cyber stuff, but we've had recent conversations with NIST as well. They're just as interested in the sustainability component too, right? So it's just, I think, reprising some conversations and relationships and sharing that actually were pretty solid and full-fledged about four years ago and putting them back into place. And I think that's happening right now. And I'm super excited that the Global Electronics Council can be part of it, but yeah. So uh, tying into that a little bit, um, we talk a lot about on, on the, the show around uh, reskilling, right? So obviously the, the on-prem environment is, is uh, one thing and it's different if it's, you know, if you're no longer having to check your, your, your servers, et cetera. Um, you know, so moving to the cloud makes, makes it a little bit different. How do you guys help organizations with kind of the job development, right? Because it's it, it's getting more and more that there's less tangible that you have to worry about and more kind of intangible that you have to worry about. You have to worry that 
okay, well, yeah, they, they say, you know, we've got this uptime. They say they have this security, but you can't really just stop thinking about it. And we've talked about that previously on the show, but how do you then add yet another level of sustainability in, in kind of the job development and reskilling um, as, as you move through kind of a transformation effort? That's a good question. Um, and that's, uh, that's a dimension of social that I think and social impact that a lot of people don't think about. You heard me talk about social as in responsible supply chain. So making sure that uh, workplace um, problems are addressed, that's fair labor, human rights component. And that's an important aspect of social for sustainability. But it is also, as we talk about social equity and social justice, it is economic opportunity. And you heard me mention already about small businesses. Well, this is where it starts becoming an, an aspect of what we're really committed to, which is how is sustainability in the technology sector um, an opportunity for jobs? And what we, re- we see, right, especially when we start talking about this circularity thing, which I hope we'll be able to touch on a little bit more, what does that really mean compared to sustainability? But if you talk about circularity, um, you're starting to talk about, and you're and you obviously hear from myself that we think that the power of purchasing is really something that's going to move sustainably forward. You start recognizing that you need people in those jobs, and those are really big sustainability jobs. So what we see this as an opportunity for is job creation in the area of logistics. Where do you think a lot of those GHG emission impacts are happening? They're at the transportation, right? We see the opportunity for procurement. Right. So as you pointed out many times on your show before, Chris and Bill, the how you buy cloud is very different than how you buy a laptop. What you do for maintenance, right? How you consider maintenance of a hard asset is very different than maintenance as it pertains to cloud. And as we move this new acquisition process of buying the utility of stuff, how actual procurement professionals monitor the performance against that contract will be a whole different type of understanding and core set of professional capabilities than they may have today, right? So we think that the areas of logistics, supply chain, sourcing, acquisition procurement are the growth areas for sustainability and that there's a great opportunity for job creation in that we ever want to get to sustainable. And it's part of because of how acquisition is changing because what you're buying in the technology sector is so different. But also when you start talking about circularity, what you're putting into those products, your sourcing questions, right? So things like that. So we think that there's a whole bunch of job opportunity and actual job need that have to be addressed if you're even going to meet any sustainability target. Did that get to your question? Yeah, it did. And, and I think uh, you, you kind of read my mind because I wanted to lead that into uh, one of the topics that, that we talked about uh, in, in kind of our prep a couple of weeks ago was the circularity that you guys look at. And I think that that is key. And the way you addressed it, um, I think, is, uh, uh, is unique because I, I do think, you know, organizations still silo, um, you know, aspects of it. And I do think the sustainability piece and the way you guys are looking at it takes into a broader uh, view for an organization. And so, yeah, I, I would love if uh, if you would now kind of <laughs> lead into the circularity aspect that you guys look at, because I think it's uh, um, it's a broad discussion aspect that, that organization need to think about. So I'll, I'll throw well, that back at you. Yeah, I hear a lot of, so of course, if you, if you have a conversation about technology in Europe, you're talking circularity, right? And you don't quite have the same conversation here in, in North America, but you'll start. Um, and I get a lot of the, how does sustainable and circularity is it the same thing? Is circularity is a new color, right? Is it the purple when sustainability was the green? Um, and it's all fair, right? Because it took us a while. And in fact, there isn't, we went searching, we did this kind of landscape analysis. Where's the big Uber definition of, cir- of uh, circularity? It doesn't exist yet. But um, if you start looking in aggregation to folks who have talked about what circularity is, uh, like the Ellen MacArthur Foundation. And you start trying to put that into something that's understandable because really appreciate Ellen MacArthur, but they have this beautiful, complex butterfly graphic that even my, myself with my 
two decades of engagement and sustainability and my IT degree still haven't entirely deciphered um, that you realize, okay, we need a layman's definition. So I'm going to throw it at you, which is sustainability basically looks at, particularly when you're looking at IT stuff, at the life cycle of a product. So it looks at what are the environmental social impacts of the extraction phase, pulling stuff out of the ground, right? It looks at what are the environmental and social impacts of basically manufacturing an assembly, right? Getting the pieces into the thing. It looks at the use phase. So great, you've gotten the products in the hands of somebody. How environmentally and socially okay is it, right? Energy efficiency, exposure to chemicals. And then it looks at what's called end-of-life management. This is where circularity kicks in. It used to be that sustainability was predominantly, yes, let's use it for as long as we can. And then when we're done with it, let's responsibly dispose of it. Well, when circularity kicks in, there's this assumption that you never really dispose. What you've done is you've designed the product in such a way that you put materials into it and you put those materials in such a way that I now have the capability of pulling those materials out at the same utility as when I put them in. We're talking stuff like gold and nickel. And I mean, we're talking material flows. And so that when I start breaking this stuff apart, I can pull that out and I can put it back into use either for myself in the tech sector, or maybe if you're talking about circular economy, I'm pulling stuff out that others in other sectors may use. So I actually never experience waste, right? That's the promise of circularity, the ability to pull material flows back out and put them back into somebody's production stream. And the, be the benefit of that, of course, is especially in tech sector, well, pretty clear. One, we kind of have a reliance on rare earths and certain minerals and such that themselves are limited, right, in acquisition, or to get them, you use child labor and have horrible conflict area, right, problems. So it's either they're hard to get, there's little of it, they're socially unacceptably gotten right now, right, and or for political reasons, maybe they're there, but we just can't quite access them in the way that we had. Because there's a lot of the things that even our cell phone needs that's currently sitting under countries that are in either South America or in Asia that we may not have the best political relationship with right now. So this idea of getting a lot better at pooling those material flows out and reusing them means that we're starting to address e-waste, really address e-waste, because you don't have waste. You really start addressing the use of virgin materials. So you're leaving stuff where it should be left, which is good because we're running out of it and the cost to get a lot of it is just socially unacceptable. And you're making sure that we continue to use what we have and not have to rely on where the political climate happens to be for us to have the technology that we want. So that's why there's so much focus on circularity and that's where circularity sits. Now, it sounds really like that's a great idea, I'll get behind it, but that's gonna be hard, right? We've been working on recycling for how long, right? Even just figuring out, we already talked about potential security concerns with life elongation. What happens when your product actually finally doesn't serve its purpose anymore? And now you got to go ahead and get it, right? You need to get it somewhere to where it can then be broken apart for those material flows. And then you got to get those material flows to the places where they're going to use it, put the products back into play. And that is why I said for sustainability to actually happen at global scale, one of the areas where we're going to need jobs is logistics. Because figuring out how to get it crisp from your bedside table, I know that you have like four or five of those little, you know, mobile phones hiding in there, right, to get them out at your bedside table to the facility that can actually break them apart. And we don't have enough of those and we can't build a thousand of them. So how do we do that? Break it apart and then bring those materials back into flow so that the tech companies large and small can use it, 
that is a serious challenge. So, and I don't have the answer for that either. <laughs> no, no, it's, it's interesting, right? Because I, you know, I, I'm curious. Are there uh, again uh, um, with with kind of the the, the concept of of uh, uh, you know, recycling just in general, right? I mean, as, as a kid, I was going around picking up, um, you know, aluminum cans because they paid me, right? You know, you go to the machine, you dump them in and, and you made money. I mean, I was always, I was always on a hustle for, for, <laughs> for the, for the dollar. Um, but, you know, it was, it was the, you know, start local, um, you know, move to global. Are there areas that within local governments that, that have started, um, you know, kind of this this process because you know my uh, my daughter is uh, working with an organization that's picking up glass, right? And and I was just reading the article on Fairfax County as a whole has taken glass uh, recycling to a new level, uh, and and just the you know the the people that are willing to to buy that, the countries that are that are purchasing that, um, you know the the aspect of you know that starting from the bin in my backyard to you know, the kind of a, um, uh, you know, a, um, a business model, so to speak. So, you know, are there, are there um, uh, organizations that, um, are, or locations that have really uh, kind of excelled in this, in this area on a local basis, or are there ones that, things that they could do? Well, I think there's, there's definitely, of course, um, recycling firms. Right, that are that are available, and different jurisdictions have different approaches to how you are able to drop off appropriately um, tech stuff. Right, there are very few places where you can actually put it curbside. Um, normally, you have to bring it to a specific recycling facility. And please don't take this conversation away as oh, I'm just going to dump it in my trash and somebody's going to fish it out and all is well. Uh, that is not the case. But uh, you put your finger on it. You know, it depends on where you are. What you get to do, be it in Fairfax, what I get to do in Portland is going to be different. What I get to do in the United States and what's happening in France is going to be different, right? It's those differences that pose the challenges. In the United States, we don't have a federal approach to recycling. We have every state has their own different. How as a company are you supposed to guarantee that you're going to use X amount of this new circular material flow if you can't guarantee access to it, right? So we're gonna to have to resolve this before we can start holding industry responsible for putting X percentages of something back into their products. And I think there's some policy conversations happening. I know that NIST just recently actually had a workshop on circularity and what does it take, right? And so you start seeing some very smart people thinking about how do we address this? And part of that conversation, even at NIST, was, hey, we're going to need a whole different approach to logistics at a global level and a recognition that nobody right now has stepped up. So that's a really great opportunity for some hard thinking to come into play. And I think that as we consider circularity, it's also a huge design opportunity. Right now, we already see that there are chemicals and metal alloys that are used for very good purpose in a number of IT products. But the choice in those means that when you try to break them apart from a material perspective, it's hard to do. So increasingly, if you are a vendor and you're trying to think three, four, five years out, what might a purchaser ask, especially when they start talking about circularity? What they might start asking, and it's actually a question in our guide, is have you looked at the materials that are within your product from a circularity perspective? Can they be pulled out? Or by deciding, using these particular chemicals and metal alloys, have you almost decided, even not knowingly, that these aren't going to be circular products because you can't break the materials back out? So it's things like that that you never thought you would see that in a procurement. You may not see it as quickly in U.S. procurements at the federal level. You probably start seeing them at the state level. Let's talk about California. And you're definitely going to start seeing them in the markets of the EU. So I'm, I'm, I'm champing at the bit a little bit here because you've laid out three or four things that are just massively important topics for me. Um, and I'm going to try and get them out of my brain and into words uh, this early in the morning as coherently as I can. So I apologize in advance. 
Um, so we have this, this issue of trying to be able to source these items and both the creation and manufacture and the creation of jobs around that, and also the breaking back down of these into their components. Um, obviously from a security standpoint, like building things locally um, in the United States solves a lot of our yeah. problems with regard to supply chain risk. Some of the major concerns there, not all of them, but some of them. So as we're talking about building jobs to do the manufacture and to do the teardown, you know, to reclaim these materials and trying to, to build that up in the United States, it's impossible to talk about that without going back into the equity component that you mentioned, right? Like a lot of these jobs involve dealing with really toxic materials um, frequently, uh, you know, potentially hazardous work con working conditions. And we know that the exploitation of labor that happens overseas is a constant problem. Yeah. Um, as we look towards potentially maybe building those sorts of jobs in America here, how can we actually address the equitability conversation um, without getting too far ahead of ourselves here, but like, what should we be doing as we're trying to build up an industry here locally to fill some of that gap? Um, and how can we make sure that we are building uh, a job, a workforce in an equitable sort of way uh, that doesn't continue to be exploitative to both the working environments and conditions and the workers that we're hiring. Sorry, that's a, that's a big one, I apologize. <laughs> well, uh, Bill, I'm going to, on my ever decreasing cup of coffee, try to, to respond to that, but the, the caffeine's getting a little low here, I will, I I will admit. But you raised some really good questions. And um, again, let me mention that we do have purchaser guides. We did release our first uh, labor and human rights impacts guide in 2017. We're actually in the process of updating it and we'll be releasing the updated version on March 30th. And some of the questions that you raise on, well, you know, how do I go about addressing these? It's not really guidance to a company who wants to do it, even though we're more than happy to help that thinking because uh, we live in that space. It's more so what may procurement professionals ask to those questions, right? Because they themselves are incredibly interested. What are you doing within that is within your control and flow down throughout your supply chain? Um, and I want to reference here one of the organizations that we see doing a lot of good work in the space, of course, is the Responsible Business Alliance, RBA, that lots of tech players are part of as well. But yeah, I mean, it is, there's a, a valid sustainability and security reason for bringing jobs back here to the United States in that space. Uh, whether or not we can bring all of them, that's a big question, right? So we do have to continue to look how much influence can we do for the other countries where this is happening as well. And we actually see this as an area of opportunity. I just spoke uh, uh, on a conference um, in India uh, as far as responsible supply chains as well. And there's a recognition that this could be a competitive advantage. Vendors who are able to prove, hey, that uh, concern about not just a living wage, but actual workplaces where there's going to be chemicals, but there's actual PPE, you know, personal protective equipment available and known how to be used, right? That there's those things put in place. If you can already start proving that as a company in a major technology supply chain, you will make that major brand much more successful because that's what purchasers and not just public sector, but increasingly private sector as well, right? We, of course, are focused a lot on public purchasers, but it continues to be the number one topic when you talk about shareholder resolution. The questions are about environmental, social governance practices of leading companies in all sectors, right? These are also the companies that buy these IT products. These are also the companies who buy cloud. And they're increasingly being pushed by their shareholders to show that they're responsible companies. So they're increasingly going to ask their vendors, hey, what are you doing to make your supply chain uh, more responsible, secure, environmentally appropriate? So I think, yeah, there's an aspect of, of job creation here in the United States. And we think that's tremendous. I understand from my time at GSA how important small businesses are to the federal government. Um, and I think this is an area of opportunity for those small businesses to actually 
uh, signal that they are sustainable businesses from an environmental and social. Um, it will also, I think, increasingly prepare them for selling, growing, and selling into other markets like the EU. But uh, this, this challenge of what else to be done from a supply chain perspective um, is a big one. But I think in part, hopefully our guide for social impacts uh, might be useful. And again, coming out March 30th. I hope that gets well, to part of your question, Bill. <laughs> no, that, that sums up a lot of it. And uh, obviously, uh, we'll, we'll tweet out and uh, share on LinkedIn when those guides come out. I also wanted to uh, uh, thank you, of course, for highlighting the small business community. Uh, obviously, as an employee of the Small Business Administration, it's you know, uh, critical for us that, you know, we get more of those small businesses that are doing the right thing, that are doing yeah. the equitable thing, that are doing the sustainable thing to be working with the government, um, you know, and to be able to show that they are doing those sorts of uh, activities, you know, to make sure that what we're building has this circularity and sustainability that we've been talking about. So I, I greatly appreciate all of that. And thank you for muddling through my uh, half thought thought. It's the black tea. It, 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 you need to know, Nancy, that uh, Bill is on black tea typically, not coffee, so. I go back and forth, you know. <laughs> All right, so um, to uh, last uh, couple of uh, minutes, is there anything, uh, Nancy, that we, I, I know I touched on all of the uh, the parts that we had, but I know you had a, a list as well. Is, is there kind of last uh, uh, kind of four minute um, thought that you want to give? And before we, we lose any attendees, uh, March 4th is our, our next event um, uh, with Nagesh uh, Rao from uh, Department of Commerce. And um, so that will be uh, our next event, but I wanna, Nancy, give you kind of the floor for the last uh, four minutes here, if there's anything that we missed. Yeah, there's one thing that I wanted to just highlight because uh, some of the participants might find this valuable. You know, you talk about acquisition and again, we seek to, to meet um, the acquisition workforce, the needs that they have. and they're being asked globally to buy more sustainable stuff. Uh, it's no longer that they're being held to buying sustainable stuff. It's that their purchase of sustainable stuff, be it the hardware or the service of it, has some type of sustainability impact. So I wanted to take a minute just to say, what are the impacts that purchasers globally care about? So that as vendors, you can start thinking about how to pitch your products and services along those lines. We've obviously talked about climate change. So what you can say about what you've done, data center perspective, the efficiency of it towards climate change. So reducing greenhouse gas emissions is a big one. But another big one is what we call circularity. We've talked about that or sustainable use of resources. A lot of public sector and private sector vendors want to know how sustainable are you as far as your draw upon not just electricity, but water resources and what are you doing for life elongation? Are you adding to the e-waste stream? Are you putting something in place that actually stops that? The third area where we see a lot is chemicals. You've probably seen a lot of conversation about chemicals, but it's not only the chemicals in the products themselves. So there used to be a ton of concern about user exposure. Now it is, Bill, as you highlighted, what's happening for the worker? And what can you say about paying attention and caring about that? That's where I mentioned RBA, they have some good guidance on what you can actually flow into your supply chain through a supplier code of conduct. And then lastly, it is the social. What are you caring about, right? Do you have supplier diversity goals, right? We actually know from resilience, it's good to have more than one supplier, right? We see the increase of climate change impacts. You see something like these unanticipated snowstorms in Texas, hello. So you probably should be thinking about uh, supplier diversity. And that's not only from a resilience perspective, but it also could be a good opportunity for social equity as well. So those are the four areas where when we now talk to purchasers in more than 42 countries, those are the impacts that when they buy technology, they're the ones that they want to uh, say something positive about. Climate change, circularity, or sustainable use of resources, chemicals and mitigating worker exposure to chemicals and social performance of the organization, particularly as it looks to social equity and social justice. So there you go. That, that, was, that was an impressive use of four minutes. I think you nailed it. <laughs> and, uh, I really appreciate the, 
uh, appreciate your time today. It was a fantastic conversation. And um, uh, I think Bill and I had, uh, were having side conversations before this, excited about uh, you know, just a different perspective again on, on, on the modernization and, and really kind of looking at, at the future and where things are going. So we're looking forward to working with you uh, um, on some of the working groups and some of the other things that uh, we've got coming up. And good luck with the, uh, the, new, uh, the new broader brand um, that you're rolling out. Thank you very much. Wonderful. Thank you as well. Thanks for this opportunity. Very enjoyable. Great.